You're freaks. I'm a man. The last man. And oh, brothers and sisters, I ask you to look at him. Does he have the marks? Do you see them? No. You see him as we were before the punishment, before we gained grace. You see lying there the last of scientists, of bankers, of businessmen, the users of the wheel. Yes. Do we use the tools of the wheel as he does? No. Is he of the family? No. Is he of the sacred society? No. Then what is he? I just need a, I need a minute, okay? Just... I just... I was saving that bacon. I was saving it. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And seeing as how it is October and getting close to Halloween, and this episode will be posted near Halloween, uh, we thought it was appropriate to talk about something, you know, with monsters in it. And so we have chosen, thanks to a listener suggestion twice, um, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, the 1954 book. And we're going to talk about three of the adaptations, the 1964 film, The Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price, the 1971 film, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, and the 2007 film titled I Am Legend with Will Smith. So we're going to talk about all those things and the book, of course. So we'll be here for a little while. Uh, But right off the bat, I do want to say thank you to Adam Underwood for sending us a suggestion in 2015 and then sending it again sometime this summer. Um, It was just one of those things where, you know, it's it's a bit of homework, you guys. Well, there's three plus movies plus a fair sized novel. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a brisk read, the novel. But but even so, I think technically it's a novel. What does make something technically a novel versus a novella? I think there are actually um, sort of rules for like the number of words where you get between um, short story, novella, novelette, and novel. But it it might fall into one of those. I'm not sure. Michael Burstein could probably tell us. <laughs> so we should, Michael, come on, lay some knowledge on us. And and we digress. According to the Google, you have to have 240 pages to be a novel. Ah, hey, there you go. Okay. Not a novel. I think I think the graphic novel was that many pages. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> uh, ironically, they, well, that's like why the, it's the book a graphic that, novel and just based on a novella. Right. Well, and Adam was nice enough to actually send us a copy, which is a, a cool. I posted it on Facebook. It's got a cool cover to it, but it, it's like microscopic print, and it makes it 130 pages. So <laughs> you could probably call it a novella or a novelette. But we're going to call it a novel for the purposes of this discussion. So, okay. And of course, if there's anybody out there and you think there's something that we should cover, like for Christmas, because we're still taking suggestions for that, even though we'll probably disregard all of them. Um, and I will unilaterally decide what we're going to do. That's it. Right, guys? Pretty much. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but you can go to pavementpodcast.com and fill out the contact form there. That's what Adam did. And look, it only took like a year and a half. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> or or you can hit us up on, on Twitter or Facebook. It's Pavement Podcast for both of those as well. So, But uh, why don't we go ahead and get into this, you guys. Let's talk about the book. So did anybody have any prior experience with it other than me? The book? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. No, me neither. So this is one that I had listened to at some point. Um, I don't remember if I got it on CD from the library or if I got it like from the Library to Go audiobooks. Um, it didn't make much of an impre- impression on me um, on audio. And... 
there wasn't anything particularly wrong with it, but I don't, maybe I just wasn't in the right mood for it. So uh, why don't we go around and talk about what we thought about it this time? So uh, how about James? You go first. I got nothing. Crap. So you're asking me what I thought about the book, right? Yeah. Okay. Here, let's, let's see if we can give him something to play off of. Okay. So this is, this is kind of a hard thing because not a lot of the adaptations are very faithful, and they, they tend to trail off one after the another, each inheriting something from the one before it, for better or for worse. Right. So it was almost like they're adaptations of each other, not so much of the book. Yeah, exactly. Although I think some of the movies do talk about the book as being some of the source material. Yeah. But it makes it hard to summarize the story like we have in the past. So let let me take a stab at it. Then you guys can, can ridicule me and do a better job. Okay. Uh, We're in a post-apocalyptic world where a disease has uh, mutated almost everybody on the planet except for our hero. And uh, he's trying to stay alive or maybe do something more. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> really, like, yeah. in terms of the common story between the the book and the three adaptations, um, I, think, right. I think you're pretty much right on. And then you get into a lot of differences about what he's trying to do and what the infected look like. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, yeah, I think we'll have to just, as we march through the, the adaptations, we'll have to say kind of what was different. What, what is he doing and what do, what is the story of the infected? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is probably a good thing to do. So what I thought about the book, uh, it was a brisk read first off. Um, yeah. pr- and pretty well written. I actually, um, <laughs> I learned a few new words in throughout reading throughout the book. I, and oh, yeah? I actually looked up a bunch of new words and so that was, that was cool. I usually don't do that in books. I pretty much already know most of them. Uh, I got words. You're saying you have the best words? The best words. (laughs) You've got tremendous words. Huge, huge words. Huge words. Uh, So, yeah, so it's a a light read, not a whole lot of homework in that department. I think the three movies are longer than it took me to actually read the book. Yeah. No no alcohol required, although I did drink alcohol anyway. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. Right. It's like Nitro Boost. There we exactly. go. <laughs> See, so it was a good book. I like the characters actually, and I appreciated the fact that the main character in the book wasn't a scientist. First off, sure, and that is one of the differences we'll get into. Right. He was just a guy trying to survive and figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. So, what was his profession in the in the book? He was like a factory worker or something, right? Yeah, I think he was a factory worker. Yeah. 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 And he's in this weird stalemate with the infected, who in the in the book are all vampires. Right. It's very clear they're vampires. They act like vampires. Um, they react to the same kind of things that we think about with vampires, with a few sure. few interesting caveats. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of... It's a very introspective book. It's uh, kind of a downer. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of a meditation on depression, almost, in, in, some, in places. <laughs> and so I think, you know, some people could find the book disturbing that way. Right. Yeah, I do remember that it went through its phases. Like in the, it started off where he was just kind of talking to himself, and it just kind of jumped you right into the story, and then kind of weaved his backstory in, in throughout the rest of the story. Yeah, but he was going through this point of like this extremely self-loathing point, and that was probably the hardest part for me to read. And I was like, ah, get over it already, guy. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy, and then he got to the you know, the bad axe part where he starts killing stuff. Right, right. And well, yeah. the dog shows up and it, that kind of changes his attitude. Right. Yeah. And they kind of pick us up after that, in my opinion, and sails right in the home, home base. Yeah. 
Well, what about you, Colin? What what do you think? And you know, kind of any parts you want to talk about? You know, I've always seen post-apocalyptic fiction as one guy trying to survive, really against like the changed environment and maybe a couple of gangs. I think this is the first time I read a story where it's almost one guy against the entire world. He's in a stalemate, right? Yeah. During the during the day, he goes out and he forages for food and he kills as many vampires as he can. You know, 40, 60, 80, 90 uh, of all mm. ages, men and women, children. Um, and then at night, he has to get back to his home, which is safe and secure, and listen to vampires try and break into his house. And that's yeah. just, that's his life every single day. And so I think the I think the depression part of it comes from that. Yeah. No end in sight. Right. But, you know, so like we were talking about before, right, the differences between the book and, and all the adaptations, what do you think the difference is between kind of what he's trying to do? Or what would you say is the thing that he's trying to do in the book? Well, in the book, I think he's just trying to survive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's trying to survive and he's trying to understand. Right, he wants yeah. to know exactly because he he tries to he Matheson lays out a lot of information that he's gleaned about the vampires, and kind of because he's trying to figure out why why does it have to be a stake? Why does it have to be in the heart? Why does the stake always find the heart? And then later on in the book, that's pretty much discarded, and he realizes no, I can pretty much just slash the wrists and they'll bleed out. And so he's investigating how exactly does this pathogen or whatever it is work. Because, well, okay, so I should, before we go on, just in case anybody's listened to us for the first time, and you don't know, we always pretty much spoil everything. Sometimes we'll hold back something. But in this case, if we're going to talk about the differences with three films, um, we're going to have to be very spoiler heavy. So, you're warned. We spoil it rotten. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, because, yeah, he, he essentially determines, well, they're not really vampires they just have kind of vampire like traits that we would associate with with that kind of archetype from literature and mm -hmm. i do think colin by the way um i wanted to ask you this because because i i feel like having read dracula was helpful hmm. in reading this because i because i'm familiar with kind of the founding tropes of the vampire because i read it a few years uh -huh. ago um you you had said you might read it at some point i haven't read it but. yet I'm probably more familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons definition of a, a vampire. There we go. And you've, I'm assuming you've seen at least one Dracula movie because there's a bazillion. Yeah. Or at least familiar in a pop culture way, right? Because right. these creatures, um, they can't go out during the day. Though, you know, it doesn't say that they turn to dust or anything in the sunlight, does it? What well, does? He ends up, oh, I guess that's true. He drags yeah, somebody out. Yeah. Uh, and they uh, they kind of petrify because during during the day they're in a comatose state, and so he drags drags them outside, right. and the, they like try and wake up but can't, and then they kind of like desiccate, just boom. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting too the the bits about where he's trying to figure out what they're vulnerable to, and and he's he's like, why should crosses work, you know, and. Because he doesn't want to accept, I think, that this is some kind of, you know, demonic thing or supernatural mystical, thing. Right? Yeah, mystical thing. Yeah. And and that's the that's the part about them being vampires that I go, Well, you gotta deal with that part of it then. They're they're either mystical or they're not, you know, magical or they're not. Um and in this case they're they aren't. And, you know, he goes to some length I think at some point it mentions that he um tried a cross on Ben Cortman, his neighbor. Yes. Right. right. Um, who is work. like the main, built up almost as the main antagonist through much of the book, because he's the one who's always out there going, come out, Neville. Um, right. But it, it didn't work on him, because I think he was Jewish, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought the whole exploration was very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they don't like mirrors. They don't like garlic. Uh, Some of them don't like crosses. Running water is not a big deal. Right. And then, yeah, what else? Steaks. Sunlight. Sunlight. Garlic. That's the other thing. They're repulsed by garlic. And so, and I I like the part where... Only garlic in the aerosol format. Right, only the smell, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like the distance that he goes to figure out is there something some essential oil in there or something that I can use right. that will repel them, and he finds out that no, in fact, it's just the odor. So, for for all the investigation that he does, um, you know, 160 pages or whatever it is, I mean, a lot of that kind of a lot of books that were geared that way towards doing that kind of exposition where he's investigating this uh could could come off really really dry and i didn't find it that way uh-uh. so anyhow I, um i really enjoyed it i i thought it i thought it was a lot of fun i picked it up on kindle a while back it was two bucks so um i have it in my my library and i'll probably read it again at some point but one thing i wanted to talk about was the the way courtman was kind of set up as the big bad you know the the main antagonist and then he really subverts that because and this is the big spoiler, right? The main antagonist of the right. book turns out to be Neville himself from a certain point. Yeah. So there's a, it turns out there's a second race of vampires, for lack of a better yeah. word. And uh, they're hunting him because, you know, as he goes out through the day killing vampires, he's actually killing some of them as well. And through medicine, they claim, they have found a way to stall the progress of the disease so they take these little pills, which has the medicine in it and a desiccated form of blood, so they don't have to like you know mm-hmm. vamp each other. Because um, that's something else about the the you know I'll call them the wild vampires, is they're cannibals. Sure. Yeah, they will they will prey on right. the weak ones. And so one day when when Robert is out, he finds somebody named Ruth, and he drags her back to the house, and then he goes on this long kind of well she was out in the sun but i don't know anybody else who lived and blah 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 blah. And it turns out she was there to scout for this this new race of vampires and yeah. they capture him uh, during a battle where he's wounded very badly and they're going to execute him because uh you know they go to sleep during the day and they wake up and a lot of their loved ones are just gone and missing so, so to right. stop him from this, because this monster has been coming and killing them in their sleep yeah and so that's that's why it's called i am legend it's because this idea of a vampire, this soul solitary creature, which would go around at night killing people, he has become that to them. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting flip, um, perspective flip that I really enjoyed. Yeah. So, so one element in the book that that I haven't seen in any of the films is the tactics that that some of the infected use to try to get Matheson to come out, and the females oh, right. in person in in particular, um, basically flash him. To try and because because they know you know he he is uh, he's very solitary and alone and you know he it's pretty clear in several places that he very much longs for the companionship of a woman and um, so that was a very kind of salacious and cruel thing for them to do um, but it's not covered in any of the adaptations it would be an interesting th- thing to see in, in a future adaptation but it might be nasty right oh yeah it's a, it's a uh, hammer film right. Right, yeah, you'd have to, I mean, the Asylum one didn't even do that. I watched that today, by the way. And? I will, oh we'll, we'll, yeah, I will talk about that later. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so one, one part, to, I, I really like the structure of the book in several ways. Um, the introduction of the dog was really interesting, um, and how, how focused he was on that dog. And just, I, I really liked, I mean, there was a whole chapter just 
about him trying to get the dog to be friendly to him and to and to take the dog into his protection and worrying that because he had started feeding the dog now the dog would become a victim of the vampires oh by taming it because it's learned how to survive on its own yeah and and so you know the the way that chapter ends you know the the dog died that week or within a week you know i'm like oh it's such a gut punch when that happens yeah. you know after having to burn his daughter and then bury his wife and then rebury his wife to lose the dog on top of everything else that had to be just yeah massively traumatic. And the the other thing is, and and James and I when um, he came over and we watched uh, the Last Man on Earth, and there was a kind of a video interview with Richard Matheson where he more or less said, um, "There's no good adaptations of my book," um, and we don't <laughs> we don't know when that was um, made, and so it it may have been before the Will Smith one, may have been after, um, for all we know, but. Um, he said that when he originally wrote it, he wrote it just strictly in chronological order. So you saw kind of the outbreak and stuff, right. and then and then you gradually got to him being alone in it. And then he ended up switching it up. So so the timeline is kind of interwoven, where it, it shows you flashbacks. Right. Um, and I thought the most, well, I guess two of the more effective ones there were the one where you have the Ben Cortman reveal, that, that he was, you know, a coworker, mm-hmm. somebody that, a, a carpool buddy, right? And then the other one, um, when his wife comes back after he buries her. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, any, uh, any final thoughts on the book before we move on to one of the movies? I think you summed it up pretty well. It's, it's, it's not an uplifting book. Uh, there's no redemption story. The dog doesn't live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dog always dies. Um, the, there was one, one kind of chapter in there when, when he goes to the crypt and, and then realizes that he's stayed too late and he's not going to get back before sundown. I just, that scene is so exciting in the book. I couldn't, couldn't put it down. Yeah. So, and, um, and we can talk about, there's kind of similar scenes in each of the movies and we can talk about that in the threat level of the, of the infected. Because in the book, the infected are definitely a threat, but not such an urgent threat that, you know, they're right. beating down his doors. Right, they're not overwhelming right away. They're waiting for him to come out. Yeah, he's still able to fight some of them off and you know punch him in the head and yeah scramble around without getting immediately annihilated. Yeah, they're not superhuman. No, although they are bulletproof. Right. We forgot to talk about uh, body glue. Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, so uh, it, it turns out the infection is uh, a bacterium, and it emits this this body glue. So when one of the victims is shot, it immediately seals small holes. And it's because the bacteria likes blood, and it's evolved that property so that blood isn't lost in the process. So you should have just got an RPG, huh? You just need an RPG, yeah. <laughs> just, just some thermite. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why stabbing them any place works. It causes them to bleed out, and when they bleed out, uh, the bacterium goes into its next stage where it emits spores. And those spores allows it to reproduce uh, through the air. Right, and that's where you have your nuclear war tie-in for the book. Because it's like a third of the way through the book, right. you find out that there was a nuclear war, and there, there are these dust storms, and that's where those spores get right. transmitted. At least that's Neville's idea. Yeah. And Neville's you know, even theory. when he's trying to talk about you know, the history of the virus, because he can't figure out that this would – he doesn't want to think this was the first time it showed up, not with symptoms so uh, reminiscent of original vampirism. So he was wondering if you know this is what happens in the past, right? A vampire gets reanimated and it goes around for a while, and then it must get disposed of in a way that that stops the infection. In fact, he even wonders if it might be like the Black mm. Plague, right? And he kind of opines that the Black Plague may have really been vampires, which you know we we know what bubonic plague looks like. We, I, I believe they still have 
samples of it in the CDC in their, you know, way below ground store right. of very dangerous stuff. I think it's even out in the wild. It's just that we don't have the problem with it spreading. It, yeah, it's not endemic yeah. anywhere. Um, anywhere. And so, you know, that's something else. The uh, It was written in the 50s, 1954 to be exact. And the understanding uh, of bacteria and viruses was not as good back then as it is today. And so sometimes when he talks about uh, a vaccine or antibiotics, the, the terms are almost used interchangeably. In fact, yeah. he theorizes that the reason he is not uh, able to to catch this is that he was bit by a vampire bat when he was in the army in Panama, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was Panama. Yeah. That, that, and the bat had a weakened strain of the bacteria, which is how he built up immunity to it. Right. Which doesn't really make much sense. No. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, to some extent. Um, because because it's it has similarities to what happened with smallpox. Where there were there were uh, milkmaids that that got a version of smallpox from from their jobs from from oh. milking cows that had the lesions on them, and then they ended up immune to smallpox. Right. So it's a similar yeah. similar kind of thing. Okay. That was one thing that I wanted to talk about was the difference in his native immunity. Where did it come from? Because it's different in in it's the same in in the book and the original movie, and it's different in all the others. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, with that, maybe then we should start talking about uh, Last Man on Earth. Yeah. The last movie on Earth. <laughs> I will say it's 71% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty well regarded. I, I got conflicting information when I looked. I, I saw something that said that it's in the public domain and others that said it's not in the public domain. So I will say it is available on YouTube and I'll put a link in the show notes. And um, if it's not in the public domain, I'm sure there will be a copyright claim and it'll get taken down. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is in the public domain. Wikipedia says that it is. Uh, I think it's yeah. because someone forgot to file a copyright extension in Italy where it was filmed. Right. Uh. Yeah, and that's that's one thing to talk about here. It's it's not only a very 1964 movie in terms of the way it's scored and the way it's acted. It's also kind of like an off 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 Broadway kind of thing. <laughs> um, because I never for a minute thought that it was set in the U.S. Even though you know he. Right. he talked about like street names and stuff that sounded like maybe they were in los angeles Mm -hmm. um but it very much looks like it's filmed on the outskirts of rome which it totally was yeah Uh, one one bit of trivia about this one is that um matheson was not a big fan of the film so he he evidently wrote a screenplay and and submitted it and this was on that thing that james and i were watching do you remember exactly how that how that all worked james yeah he uh so he had this screen he wrote a script for hammer films i've believe right right and then uh the for some reason production got delayed sound like it lost funding or something like that oh it was due to censorship in britain yeah, yeah. so they never made the movie do this because they the way they wanted to make it, it wouldn't have worked uh it would have been censored so they just shelved it and then uh the italian guys picked it up and right. i think they heavily changed the script a bit i mean it's hard to say they heavily did because it's still more or less the same story Okay, and he he kind of he thought the whole thing was crap anyway, and I think he something along the lines if he tried to tell them to take his name off of it, but then they're like, well, if you do that, you won't get any residuals. So he's like, well, okay, put this name on there instead. Yeah, it's my pen and, name. Yeah, and so he's credited as Logan Swanson, which is some amalgamation of like maiden names of. Yeah, it's like the maiden name of his mom and the maiden name of his wife. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but the the important takeaway is that he thought it was you know crap. <laughs> yeah, 
and 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 it seemed like that was that was his opinion of any movie that had been mm-hmm. adapted from it. Right. And interestingly, when you know when we put a post up there on Facebook, Phil Nichols um, commented that it's a very filmable book, but nothing's really gotten it right yet. So right, and we'll have yeah. to talk about that. They keep mucking with it. Yeah, well, the thing that makes it the thing that makes it so horrible, I think, is is the twist. And the movie that gets a twist yeah. closest is the non-released alternate ending of the Will Smith movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say The Last Man on Earth does end in somewhat the same way, but you don't have the kind of point of view on it in order to give you that revelation moment that he has. Yeah. The, you know, the I Am Legend moment. Um, the closest you get is the, you're all freaks, I'm a man, <laughs> the last man. Um, it's it's very melodramatic at the end. Um, the fact that it was that it was shot in Italy um, made for some really bad kind of dubbing that happened. It was like a spaghetti western, oh, yeah. but spaghetti yeah. post apocalypse. <laughs> oh, maybe Mr. Matheson wasn't a fan of voiceovers either. That could be, and and yeah, that's something we can talk about. Do you like a good voiceover? I do, and particularly when it's you know Vincent Price. <laughs> Well, yeah, if it's Vincent Price, that does help um, in terms of the quality of it. But yeah, for me, like there are a few movies like The Shawshank Redemption and Fight Club where the voiceover narration, I feel like, really adds to the story. But a lot of the times to me, it's like, here we have a visual medium, but we still need to tell you what's going on. And I'm not sure this one totally needed it. Um, The way that it was written, the way that it was adapted so faithfully from the book, I feel like it did need the the narration, and that's why I think some changes need to be made. Ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you snuck that in. I almost didn't notice it. Nailed it. (laughs) So you're saying it could have been done in a better way? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And and you know we'll talk about how the other movies kind of handled the the narration part of it because because yeah. there's different approaches in in the other right. two films. Yeah, despite despite the silkiness of Vincent Price's voice, it did sound like he was just reading from you, reading yeah. to you. You know, novel. so one one thing I really wanted to see was like the thickly bearded, unkempt Robert Neville or Robert oh, yeah. Morgan in the movie. I don't think that Vincent Price is capable of that. I don't think so. It's the pencil mustache, and and that's right. that's the way it must yes. be. He seemed way too old in this movie, too. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. And that's what you know. Matheson thought he was miscast. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't I have sur- to say, early enough, surly enough, old enough, or yeah. young enough. I should say. We have covered two movies that have Vincent Price in them. We we did The Fly, and then this one. And I'm just I'm not all that impressed with Vincent Price's acting. So I I need to see him in some other things, but. Here, I just kind of felt he was a little little melodramatic. Yeah. You mean as a 1960s-era horror movie shot in Italy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, probably probably it's just like, well, what do you expect, dude? <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's kind of par for the course, man. Yeah. They, were, they were more melodramatic back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I did kind of like the, you know, you're freaks, I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one of, the, one of the major changes, there's a bunch of small ones. Like, they change his name. Instead of being Robert Neville, he's Robert Morgan. They changed the name of his uh, uh, daughter from Kath- or from yeah Mackenzie to Kathy. Hmm. But there are, there are two significant changes, and we'll see those changes show up in the next sets of movies. The first one is that this Robert Neville, Robert Morgan, he is uh, a scientist, a biologist, a virologist. Uh, he was working in a laboratory at the time of the of the apocalyptic event. And yeah. the second one is that 
he infuses his blood into Ruth and cures her. Magic blood. Woo-hoo. Super blood. One, one other change is that these, the vampires, they're more like zombies. They're not fast. They're not a huge threat in the book. In, the, in this movie, they're really not a threat at all. No. And <laughs> like they have that same scene where he stays too long at the crypt and, and comes back. And there's just, there's no tension to that scene whatsoever. Right. He's like running through a wall of dummies or something. Yeah, so it's it's like, and this is this is the bad part of a faithful adaptation for for me, Colin. And I, I don't think you disagree on this. Is that, um, yes, you you filmed the scene that was in the book, but it did not work, and it could have worked. Well, it, it wasn't because it was faithful that it was a problem. It wasn't faithful because they aren't the same kind of vampires. True. Yeah. I, I, okay. I'll give you that. Yeah, so in the book, he mentions that he burns down the houses all around his house so that they can't jump from house to house onto his. These yeah. And these vampires did not look like they could jump. No, no. No, they were all white mine. Yeah. White guys. They could barely walk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. It was the next movie where, where, where you had a brother. In yes. Right. He had his own problems, though. Yeah, but he climbed the whole building, so. Yeah, but, okay. okay. So let, let, let's sum up this movie, and then we'll go and talk about what's short about the next movie. Okay, so we talked about the vampire physiology, right? You didn't get any of the exploration of um, the main character trying to figure out, you know, the what was going on with the vampires, why they were afraid of certain things. You know, you you got that they were uh, bothered by garlic. Crosses never came into it. It did show him going around and staking the vampires in like the most (laughs) ham-handed, G-rated staking that you can have. and that, that's the other thing that I want to talk about, right? What was he up to? And in this one, it's similar to it was in the book, but you don't get that investigation side. You just get him going around and killing them during the day, as far as I can tell. Right. But I guess he's also investigating the virus somewhat, because otherwise, why would he try and cure her? Yeah, he was, he was, he was investigating the virus, trying to create a cure, right? As, a, as the scientist, yeah. biologist, virologist, et cetera, et cetera. Star-ist. My my one lingering kind of plot hole in the movie is that he cures her, and then he's killed for being one of the uninfected. Right. And so now she's uninfected. So now are they going to kill her? That's that's what I want to know. How are they going to know unless she goes out and trying to kill people? They didn't really kill him for being uninfected. They killed him because he was a murderer. Okay, so so maybe this is where we should circle back to... to um, the question about the bacterium and exact and the pills that they take, because in the movie she's taking something to to stave off the infection progressing, mm-hmm. right? So she says. Right. So she says. Right. You find out in the book that essentially everybody eventually dies from the infection and then becomes one of the dead ones, but while they're living, they you know they have like differences in in personality. The the dead ones are are kind of zombie-ish. Mm-hmm. And, but you find out then at the end that there's this whole group of them that is living with the virus and it's not killing them. And they are now the new humanity, essentially. Right. And they take this pill, like you said, Colin, earlier, that they say suppresses the spreading of the virus. Um, that that keeps, it from, keeps it from killing them, right? Um, but there's, there's a twist there, too. Do you want to talk about that, Colin? So at one point, he uh, wants to check Ruth's blood out. Uh, to see mm-hmm. if she's really infected or not. And he puts them on a slide and he looks at it. And then there's a really brief one paragraph. And, and we, we've argued on and off about this for weeks. Um, yeah. My interpretation of the paragraph is that uh, the pill really doesn't work. The The bacteria has right. mutated and it does not have the 
it, it still gives them several of the vampire like properties. Like she was still sensitive to, she was sensitive to garlic, yeah. and she doesn't seem to have a bloodlust, and she was able to yeah. be in the sun. Yeah, but I think she was still, still nocturnal for the most yeah. part. But she yeah. could fake it. Right. She could stay up past her bedtime. It sounded like the sun was uncomfortable, but it didn't kill him. Yeah. So, and I, you know, Colin, we we have gone back and forth a bit on that, but I think at this point, I I just reread it before we started recording, and uh, and I think you're right that that he saw there on the slide, and it says, you know, he knew he he knew then what Ruth and the others would never know, um, and essentially, it's it, what he had determined was a bacteria can mutate, and so now they're all carrying a different strain of it that just doesn't progress the same way. It doesn't kill them anymore. Now they're all living with it. Mm-hmm. So you don't really get any of that in the 1964 film. No. You get sort of something like that in uh, in the Omega Man. Well, not really, but maybe we should move on to yeah. talk about that one. So should, do you think people should watch the movie? I mean, was it is it just so badly dubbed with a voiceover that no one should ever, ever watch it? Or I would I would say, and, and you'll have to tell me if you agree, um, you know, as long as you're prepared to watch a 1960s science fiction slash horror movie, uh, you're probably not going to, you know, you can't go wrong. There's, there's something delightfully of its time about that movie. Yeah. You know, when I watched it, I watched it with my son, Tim. And so, you know, he had never seen a mechanical alarm clock. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in our bedroom, uh, we have a, a telephone which plugs into the wall that has, it's, it's a corded handset and, and it goes into the wall. All the other phones in the house, wow. they're all wireless. So, mm-hmm. you know, he got to see what, what a phone looks like and all sorts of other things that, you know, now, a lot of... Is it a rotary phone? No, no, it's a push-button phone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the movie, they were rotary phones. Yeah. And that's, that's where, right, dialing someone's number comes from. Yes. Even, right. even though, you know, by, by the 70s, that was no longer what people were doing. Although, <laughs> technically, you know, we, we had a rotary phone in my house until I moved out. So... Just, just couldn't take it anymore? I don't know. It's probably still there. And, and it was one of those ones that, uh, you know, it was the only phone downstairs and, uh, and it had like a, a 40 foot, um, curly cord on it. Oh my it. gosh. <laughs> yes. So, so, you know, you'd see, you'd see it stretched out, st- stretched out and through a closed door. Um, cause somebody was having a phone call and nobody else could use yep. the phone. But you could pick up the other phone listening. True. True. You had to do it yeah. quietly though, to listen in on your right. sister's conversations, which I never did. Ever. Ever. So before we move on to the Omega Man, uh, James, what what did you think of the '64 film? Um, it was garbage. <laughs> so we will move on to the '70s. Only seven years later, we have another adaptation of "I Am Legend" in the Omega Man, um, which is at a fifty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and and oddly enough, a much better movie for certain definitions of better, <laughs> more enjoyable movie. Well, okay, yeah, and and. As long as you know what you're getting, right? You can enjoy certain types of movies if you, if you know that's what you're going in for. And this is definitely um, a different different kind of tone. The Vincent Price movie was just boring. I don't know. It was slow. Boring, okay. So I don't, it didn't add anything. The the book was you know better. So I'm like, eh, why am I watching this? I, I like the fact that this one starts in a much more kind of believable empty city with Charlton Heston cruising around in a sweet 1970 Ford XLGT. Yeah. The thing was awesome. <laughs> and then stops and randomly sprays a window with machine gun fire. There was a shadow of somebody walking through the window yeah. or behind the window. Yeah, I know. But even so, it was very abrupt because he's just, he's cruising through town, listening to smooth jazz or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, easy listening station. And then the machine gun comes out. It grinds the hole, whips out the machine gun, shoots the shadows. Yeah. 
So maybe we should talk about some of the differences with this. The name is restored. It's now Robert yes. Neville again. Played by Charlton Heston, who's probably on the old side as well. Right. Yeah, but this this time it's a little bit more believable, I suppose. Sure. So let, let's let's talk about the, like those things that are, are different between each. So his his profession, he is again like a military physician or, or, or scientist of some kind, right. right? Right. Another starist. Yes, probably. Yeah. Uh, you mean like engineer botanist? Right. <laughs> so to me, the distinctive thing here is the difference in the infected, because you don't have the kind of zombie-like ones from the 1964 film. You don't even really have them being the vampires of the book. Instead, you have them being these weird vampire Sith Lord beatniks, um, sunglasses wearing at right. night. They weren't really even vampires, though. They were, yeah, they weren't vampires. They were just no. insane. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really see them feeding, necessarily. Yeah. Although I guess they were sensitive to light and garlic and all that jazz. Yeah, but the, the other difference is you get very early on kind of the revelation that these infected now have a different society, and it's very kind of cult-like. Oh, yeah. Right. With Matthias being the leader and, and, and speaking to everyone as a brother, you know, is he of the family? No. <laughs> Holding weird ceremonies and stuff and hating technology. Well, and you even get some flashbacks of Matthias when he was a, uh, a television newscaster. So he's very charismatic. Right. Yes, he was. Um, it's, it's said, I think almost directly, that the, the disease turns you bright white uh, all of your skin, all of your hair, it changes your pupils, and it makes you kind of nutso. Yeah, and well, he was already a little anti-technology, right? Because there was some kind of Russian-Chinese war or something that had happened, and it showed the falling of bombs. Right, and they, they even mentioned at one point, you know, don't shoot that one because it's full of bacilli. Right. And that's where this Robert Neville's immunity comes from. So he has a vial of experimental vaccine, and he is in a helicopter accident because he and the pilot... Uh, they both contract the disease at the same time, and they have a uh, they they crash on the ground, and he immunizes himself by spraying the vaccine all over his leg. <laughs> right, yeah, I love that. First of all, he walks away from like a gas station blowing up kind of explosion, yeah. <laughs> and and, right. and 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 you know his pant legs are torn and stuff. I'm like, how do you have any hair left? It's Charlton Heston, dude. Come on, man. right? I guess that's true. <laughs> the power of purest awesome. Yes, right. He spends a significant portion of this movie with a shirt with his shirt off, <laughs> and it's not like he was totally ripped either. That's true. Yeah. Um, so the difference in kind of what he is doing, what 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 is his motivation in this movie? Do we ever get it? Uh, well, I guess he are, he was trying to find the cure, right? I'm not sure. I mean, he was driving around looking for vampires to shoot, but he was doing a bunch of experimentation as well. Right, because he has immunity. Well, I guess this is where it comes in. Right, he finds other humans. And and finds out that they are in the early stages of succumbing to the disease. It's it's kind of like in The Walking Dead where everybody's infected. Sorry, spoilers for what season two. <laughs> but yeah, so they're, they're they have not yet succumbed to it, and so they're still apparently healthy. And and when he, <laughs> it's an amusing scene when when he's um, some of his loneliness does does kind of manifest itself in you know his desperation for being with a woman um when he's like in a department store looking for some clothes and and kind of contemplates um fondling one of the female mannequins which comes into the third movie yeah and um and then all of a sudden he looks and there's a mannequin that is slightly moving and then she turns toward him and he realizes this is an actual 
human being, and she gets away from him. That's different from from the book. Um, I, so yeah, I kind of like the fact that she gets away from him, and then then later on he gets, and this this we could file under the threat level of the infected, or he actually gets captured, and they put him on trial, and it's pretty amusing. And there's some there's some you know one liner exchanges, right? Now we will build. All you need to build is coffins, where the uh, the pale luddites have decided that once they finish burning everything, and there was a scene of them burning books like from a library or something, you know, once they have taken all the technology away, then they then they can rebuild their society. Right. Their pale Luddite society. Yeah, because he kept on saying, oh, he is of the era of the wheel. He uses the wheel. He is of the wheel. That makes me think, though, if they're if they're so anti-technology, how did they get up into his into like onto the third floor or whatever of of the place at the end? They took the stairs. We just never saw him. Okay. No, no, no. he he takes a grappling hook and throws it onto a pile of sandbags, (laughs) which miraculously holds his weight as he climbs up to the second story. Right, but there's a number of them that get that get up that thing. I thought they took his. It elevator. was ridiculous. It, so later on, yeah. uh, the the girl that he rescues, who is played by the the actress Rosalind Cash, and her name is not Ruth, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa and Robert have sex. Yes, they do. They they have one of the earlier interracial kisses in movies, and then and then oh, they, yeah, they went right past kissing to all sorts of other stuff too. Yeah, they did. And 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 we should warn people. Uh this movie is rated PG-13, but there are definitely um chocolate female boobs. parts on display. Just say chocolate boobs, dude. <laughs> I'm not saying nudities. <laughs> <laughs> that one's all you. So But yeah, she she she's working a, like a sweet fro the whole movie. Um right. very very kind of glamorous. And I'm pretty sure she said mofo at some point and that they that they took it out. <laughs> Wait, what? What do you mean they took it out? I mean, you you hear mother, but that's all. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyhow, it, it, at some point, the he's about to be executed, and and she comes to the rescue with with uh, I guess her friend Dutch rescues him, right? Right. And, they got away on the crazy motorcycle chase. That's right with the with the awesome uh, motorcycle jump, and where it's clearly not him or her on <laughs> yes. a motorcycle. Bad right. bad photography there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really obviously uh, stunt doubles. No, it's really dark. You can't tell. Yeah. So anyhow, so so he's taken to their complex and finds out that there's all these children who are uh, who are infected but not yet turned, but that Lisa's brother Richie is turning. He's beginning to turn, and so his hair is turning white, and and his eyes are beginning right. to turn white as well. Um, and that is kind of the impetus for him to try and come up with a cure. And so he makes a serum with his super blood, um, which is you know of course right. That's, that's, that's what you do. And that, it's been done so many times now that it's a complete trope and it's lazy. But it all started back then. Yeah, really, it started in the 1964 film, right? Because he yeah. just injected her with his blood, which is, seems like an invasion to me. It's a good thing the RH factor matched. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then she died of a transfusion reaction. Yeah, so the infected people, they're a serious threat. They use fire, they can think, uh, they use weapons. They're organized. You mentioned they burned books. They burned the books not only because they thought that the technology caused the fall of the world, but to draw him out because he had actually, he had gone around rescuing works of art, paintings, statues, books. Right. Yeah. So uh, one one other thing that I had wanted to talk about was like how the how the narration worked. You know, you kind of get an idea of what his life is like just from his not interior monologue. He talks out loud, right? He talks to the right. bust of Caesar that he plays uh, right. chess with. And I, I did like the one redirect on on um, on him when, when he said to Caesar, 
your move and she's she's there and she's changed into something <laughs> real sexy looking and she says, I already made my move. <laughs> Which I thought was a good line. But yeah, they're they're definitely more of a threat and more intelligent, you know. So so to me it's kind of like this movie throws out the dumb versions of, of all the infected and only has the the family. That's what it's called, right? Capital F right. family. Right. Yeah, no wild vampires. Yeah, and so so in that way, right, they see him as the monster. And they and they want to like he's the last smudge on on in the world that they want to get rid of. Yeah, although in the movie it also says that they anyone who's infected eventually dies. And so it's not like they're yeah. going to be able to rebuild a civilization like it's described in the book. And the family is 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 the villain. And so you never ever get the feeling yeah. that you know they might reestablish, you know, a sane culture. No. No, you don't. You know, they're 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 really bad. In fact, the serum that that Robert makes actually ends up curing Richie and Richie wants to go back and try and cure everybody in the family because before they went totally nuts so they had tried to help out Richie and his sister and um a bunch of the kids and they got so crazy that they all left that's one of the reasons they're being hunted and so Richie goes back to tell them hey I can cure you and because he's been cured they crucify him but there is a more kind of hopeful ending there because he has a vial of serum that he's made from his blood that then Richie, or sorry, that uh, Dutch takes with him and the kids as they get right. out of Dodge. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, there's a big conflict. Yeah. Oh. Because, of course, that, that kind of serum, of course, doesn't need to be refrigerated or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, in this movie, you have the same thing where it's it's a bacteria and it's a virus and, and we need antibiotics and... Vi- um, vaccines. Vaccines. Yeah. Uh, we, we missed the betrayal. So in the book, Ruth comes in to check him out and then whacks him with uh, a hammer or something else. Um, And then they come in and capture him. And in the capturing, he gets wounded uh, and he dies. So in this movie, Lisa turns and leads him up into his apartment. And then they capture him. And then there's a great big battle. And he gets uh, hit with a spear and then falls into a fountain. And and this that's actually my my recollection of it. So I saw this movie – on KPTV t- t- uh, channel 12 from Portland when I was probably in middle school. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a big downer, just, just exactly like the book, right? The, the hero kind of dies. And I think in my mind, I tried to reconcile this because when he's, when he's hit by the spear, he falls back into a fountain. And since I knew that his blood would cure people, I reasoned that he had sacrificed himself to try and cure all the people in the family because they would all come and drink from the fountain and they'd, they'd be cured. Everyone would live happily ever after, <laughs> after the end credits. Nice. Nice. <laughs> well, he does fall back into the, the fountain in a rather ominous yes. position. Well, yeah, it's very kind of crucifixion right. reference. Save, save, savior-ish. Right. By his blood, they will be saved. Right. I don't know. So final thoughts on this one. Uh, it's a great B movie. Go for it. <laughs> um i i enjoy this one i i i do i do like the fact that it it kind of you know went a different direction and and it definitely is different than than the 1964 film right and different than the book what you colin you love this movie right no <laughs> <laughs> on the basis that it was different or that just that what they did just didn't work for you what they did really didn't work for me well, they took another crack at it in 2007 because the I Am Legend film with Will Smith reads more like a remake of the Omega Man than a readaptation of the original. In some ways and stuff, yeah. Well, why don't we, why don't we move on to talking about that one? So in 2007, there was a remake with Will Smith playing Robert Neville. Uh, I don't know who played right. the dog, but there is a dog in this one, which is important. A man and his dog. 
Yeah, and and this one, you know, some of the technology has been up, updated. Um, it is it's no longer a Cold War setting at all, and so there's no kind of nukes involved. There's no real idea about war. This instead is um, genetic modification and and uh, recombinant DNA and using viruses as a way to to heal the human body. And and it starts off, it's interesting the way it starts off. And I love, like, the first hour of this movie I think is terrific. Um, and it starts off with an uncredited Emma Thompson talking about how she's cured cam- cancer by using a measles virus to target cancer. And it says something like, we've had 10,009 human trials and we have had 10,009 mm-hmm. cured of cancer. And And then the news person says, so you've cured cancer. Yes, yes, we have. And then it Boom. cuts to three years later and New York is completely empty. Right. Um, and that's another difference, right? That's Venue awesome. change. It's no longer L.A. or Rome. Right. Um, but it, but the way it starts off, just to me, after that, you know, the first thing you see is this, the empty New York and then a, a red, I think it's a Mustang, going through town at, at a high rate of speed. And so it's it's very much the same first shot of the Omega Man. Yeah, yeah I, I, in my mind, it seemed... At the at least from the beginning, just a remake of Omega Man for a while. You yeah, know, you have a, it gets confusing. <laughs> like, is yeah. this based on the Omega Man or a readaptation of the book? Hmm, sure. I don't know. So his immunity, which is which is one, kind of one of the distinctive things, it's not because he was bitten by a vampire bat or because he sprayed the experimental vaccine onto his genes. Um, it's it's because he actually is just naturally immune. I mean, that's kind of the way. It works with viruses sometimes. There are people who just don't don't get sick. You know, they can be carriers, but not not actually right. fall prey to it, fall victim to it. So it's important that it was actually a virus this time. Yeah, and and the, and they're consistent, right? It, it's right. it's there's and nothing the, yeah, about it yeah, being they're a, consistent about it being a virus, yeah. not flipping back and forth between antibacteria and vaccines and bacteria, bacilli and viruses, yada yada. Yeah, and so that that leads kind of into what his motivation is. Yeah. And he wasn't really a starist this time, right? He was just a regular old military scientist. Right. And he's Robert yes. Neville again. And he's not going around hunting them, really. He, he's going around and he occasionally uses one for a test subject because what he is trying to do is fix it. He's trying to come up with a vaccine that he can somehow deliver to all the infected. Yeah. And, and that's one of the, I think it's one of the cooler scenes is, you know, the uh, virus goes way beyond what, what humans can can catch. So it turns out there's there's two substrains of the virus. There's an uh, uh, an air transmitted virus which humans right. uh, are susceptible to, and then there's a second one which is spread by contact only. And it turns out that dogs and rats and humans they can all catch this second form. So there are also you know infected dogs, infected rats. Uh, apparently deer yeah. deer are not infected. Lions are not infected. Cougars are not infected. Well, they they may be infected by the contact strain. But we don't know. We don't. We don't see any. Um, yeah, you'd think there wouldn't be any healthy wild animals if some of them right. could get infected. Because it seems like all the rats are infected. Well, all the ones that were shown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess he just got some infected rats. Which yeah, you know. I think. It, well, he was the one infecting the rats, right? That could be. I'm not. I'm not he, sure. He had. He had his control. His control uh, rat, I believe. Unless I'm mixing that hmm. up. But, yeah, I don't think he did. There was there was one after he administered uh, substance um, to to all of them. Like he was, it, it showed him, and this this is kind of where the narration comes. And we didn't really talk about it with the Omega Man, but there isn't much of it. There, there's just him kind of 
talking out loud. And then at one point he does like an audio journal onto a real, um, reel to reel tape recorder. Right. Right. And of course there's some sweet eight tracks in them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in this one, he's, he's taking his notes, right? So he's, he's, he's using video and a computer to actually yeah, um, yeah. document his process. It was a good adaptive, I guess, adaptation narrative device to use as opposed to just Vincent Price reading a book to us. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't get much of an exposition dump. Um, the, the, the biggest place you do get one is when he, when he meets Anna and he kind of goes through how, how the virus progressed and how it worked. Right. Um, but I thought that was a pretty effective scene. So I didn't yeah. mind that. Well, he's actually talking to somebody, right? He's not, you know, just right. voicing out loud what's going on. So one point in this one's favor, like towards being closer to the book is that it's got the kind of some flashbacks in it. So it flashes, mm-hmm. flashes back to him fleeing the city with, with his wife and child. And then, Colin, this is the part that guts you, right? Oh, yeah. So I watched this movie when it came out. You know, it was a Will Smith movie in the 2000s. There were, a really, there were a lot of really good ones. And there was also the Wild Wild West. And there was also <laughs> the Wild Wild West. Yeah. But yeah, he's trying to get his wife and daughter off the island. And um, he has to stay because he keeps on saying it over and over. You know, this is ground zero. It's my ground zero. My and I've got yeah. to be here. Um, so I almost had the idea he was working for the CDC. Yeah, that could be, or you know, military, like you say, like military hospital or something. He was used to, he was trained to fight diseases and and make serums. So as they're trying to go off the island, they're both killed in a helicopter accident. Yeah, and it, it yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, it, it gutted me, and it goes right back to the book. Um, mm-hmm. In in tone, this movie I think is way closer to the book uh, than either of the two movies are, because it it's very raw. Yeah, and you you get a little more of kind of the the PTSD of of being alone for so long, and you know it's bad enough he's alone and all he's got is is his dog, and he talks to the dog like it's a person, mm-hmm. you know. No, 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 no. Eat your vegetables, you know. Oh, you're gonna have to eat twice as many tomorrow. Um, and then it shows some progression in that where he's got the video store, and you mentioned this earlier, Colin, right? With the with the mannequins. Yeah, so he's actually posed the mannequins so he can go in and have some imitation of of uh, you know social context. In fact, one of them is named Fred, wearing a red sweatshirt, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of the turning points of the movie, and it's kind of the analog to the I stayed out too late scene when Fred is in the wrong place, and and he goes to investigate, and he's going all kinds of crazy. Yeah. And, you know, before then, we, we need to talk about the fact that one of the um, one of the serums he comes up with seems to have an effect on the rats, and so he has to capture an infected, so he does— and he t- tries to uh, inject the serum into this infected woman, and it doesn't work, right? Right. So her heart rate is 200. Her uh, respirations are off the chart. Her body temperature is 120 or something like this. Yeah. Um, and you know he injects her, and it, it, might, it might have killed her, so he injects her with something else, and she comes back to life. Um, well, yeah, that's. I think that's where James was talking about having a like. He's got the virus there. I think. I think he gives her like the anti thing, and then then gives her the pure strain again. I'm not sure what brought her back. Maybe it was just atropine. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Um, but it's important or that adrenaline. she stays alive because uh, the other infected are trying to get her back. Right, and in he gets her after he discovers. Um, a group of them when, when he's going deer hunting and, and Sam goes into a building and that, that, that is a great scene, great tension in that. Um, when he's, when he's going there, through there and he's like, I, I gotta go, I gotta go. I can't, you know, he knows he's got to leave Sam behind, but then he doesn't. Um, right. well, and we're told what a huge threat the infected are now. 
Yeah. Right. Um, you, you get a, a quick glimpse of them. They're all standing together in a room in a huddle communally. Um, panting. and he's, yeah, yeah, panting and they're, he, he's terrified of them. And so he and Sam managed to get out, but then yeah, later he goes back and he, he kidnaps one of them. And then there was a guy, an infected man who actually sticks his head out into the sun and roars at Neville. Um, right, and gets burned and gets burned by the UV from the sunlight. Yeah, so th- because the threat level is so high on, on these infected, it leads to one of the other kind of logical differences between this movie and the book, and that is that they do not know where he lives. So he doesn't have that nightly standoff with them. Right. Because they're superhuman. Yeah, um, they're super strong, they're super fast, they're massively aggressive. Yeah. He kind of hints they might hunt by scent. Because whenever he goes into his house, he pours what looks like ammonia or bleach or something behind him to obscure his scent. And his house is armored. Right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, and yeah, and, and very much the, you have the dog character, and then the dog dies, that is, it, it's gutting, um, you know, that's, and it's a great, very effective scene. Will Smith is great in this movie. Yes. But then, then he, he goes out more or less to commit suicide and take as many of them with him as he can and gets rescued by by Anna, but you know, they're strong enough to push over his car. They're strong enough to headbutt his windshield and fracture the safety glass without dying. Without caring. (laughs) But then she gets him back to the house and that's where kind of the the climax of the film is. um, He realizes that it wasn't fully light when she brought him home and they were able to follow the car. And so they, they knew where he was. Right. And so then that night they attack and there's a big scene you know the the weak point of this movie to me is the the CG dark seekers. I I don't like them. You know I like the fact that the CG allowed them to be more or less superhuman. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I think it could have been accomplished without the dodgy CG. It could have been done with better CG. But it, in Wikipedia, when they're talking about the production, that they actually shot some of it without CG, and it exhausted the actors trying to do. Uh, you know these infected, the panting and the, the the hyperactivity and everything else. No one could do it. Sure, <laughs> and and it might be that you know just if they'd done it ten years later, or you know five or six years later, then the CG would have progressed to the point that it wasn't uncanny valley because that's that's where it was for me. Like it's it's not quite good enough to be believable. Mm-hmm. It's close, but but not not quite not quite there. And so you mentioned yeah the infected are attacking the house and. Uh, there, there's an issue of faith which comes up. So yeah. Anna believes that there's a place where you can go that's too cold for the virus to propagate <laughs> up near Vermont. Because yeah. <laughs> it gets really cold in Vermont. <laughs> Not necessarily for the virus to propagate, but, but for, the, for the virals to survive. That, that, that's my kind of retconning. Kind of like World War Z, where the, the further north you get, the zombies start to freeze up. That could have been. Because my thinking on the virals is if, if they are... If their adrenaline is way, way up, max, and and they're burning through oxygen, essentially, you know, they're respiring very quickly, mm-hmm. they would have to have a lot of food. And so big urban areas would probably be where they'd find that. And and as you got more out into the country, it would be hard for them to either find that food or, you know, they would need more calories to survive the cooler temperatures. So that's that's the way I retcon it. I just laugh at him because I think it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. I would agree with Colin, though. All right. I don't know that Vermont's any uh, colder in the wintertime than New York would be, so whatever. Sure, sure, but it isn't as urban either. It's not Manhattan. Well, right? yeah. 
at least not not the place where it shows them going at the end of the movie. And this is maybe we, we could talk about the the differences between the theatrical the cut endings. and the the alternate ending because in in the theatrical right. one he sacrifices himself to save Anna and Ethan, and after Just he's like kind of discovered the cure, right? Yeah. yeah, and he's discovered the cure, gotten some blood from the woman that he's more or less cured at this point, and mm-hmm. she takes it to the survivor colony. So it's it's kind of an uplifting ending. Um, but tragic too, because he dies in the process. Right. But that's the way they kind of shoehorn in the "this is his legend," and she actually uses those words. Not the same. Oh, really? Where then? It, huh. No, it's not. Um, and and then in the alternate cut, he realizes at some point in that confrontation, the 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 main dark seeker comes up and and makes like a butterfly pattern on the on the glass on the plexiglass in his lab, and he realizes there's a tattoo on on the girl that he had tried to cure. And it's a butterfly. And so he's asking for her back. And so, so it kind of gives a hint that there's some, some evolution going on. There's the beginnings of society. You know, there's kind of the notion of family, not capital F family like in the previous movie. Right. Um, of the but, family. But starting to emerge. And, Just a, a new form of life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's a good scene where, where he, he backs out of the, out of the lab to return mm-hmm. her to, the, to, to her husband or whatever. Um, and there's a scene there where, where he's, where Will Smith is kind of trying not to freak out and the, the viral guy <laughs> is right in his ear, you know, and right. it was, it was in the trailers and not in the theatrical cut, which usually bothers me. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a pretty intense scene too. Like you were saying earlier with the other ones. It was. Yeah. So for me, like the, this movie did the best job at capturing some of the, the tension and, and the excitement in, in the book. Not that the book is super exciting, but there's a lot of tension in places. Mm-hmm. Where the other films, I didn't feel like they did a very good job of that. Yeah. And I think in this film, well, with the alternate ending anyway, you have kind of a story arc for Neville, right? Sure. Yeah, where, where, where he's, he's been very much, everybody's dead, everybody's dead, to accepting, no, maybe... Maybe right. I'm not the only one left. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not the one left. Maybe I don't have to die. And yeah. he gives up the, gives up trying to cure the world, trying to save the world, and goes to Vermont with Ruth slash Anna. <laughs> Ruth Anna. Yeah. It, it makes you, yeah, Anna. And actually, you know, I'm not Colin, but I'm going to call in here. Um, <laughs> I, I would have named her her Ruth, right? At, at least as a nod to the source material. Yeah, why not? Even if she's a completely different character. Yeah. I, I like that kind of that kind of nod in in remakes. I I want to see some references to the original, and I didn't feel like there were a lot of those. Kind of that opening scene was that was the main one. Well, that's not even the original movie. That's a nod back to um, the nineteen seventy four movie, not the not the book. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, even if it's a remake of you know, and there's previous films, I want to see nods to that. I want to see nods back to the original too. And you know, the naming him Robert Neville was was a step in the right direction too. Definitely. And having the dog. I thought the dog was a good, not through line, but it's some, some connectivity there, even though it's, mm. you know, it's his companion dog. And when the dog dies, it's even worse for him right? because now he's utterly alone. Well, and the dog was given to him by his daughter when they were getting on the helicopter. And so to me, it represented like the last link to his family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it, the movie in one place though, I think really kind of strains believability. We, we, we talked, we started to talk about it and I think I let us off someplace else. So the infected set a trap for him and it works. Yeah. And yeah. he has to oh, right. cut himself out of this trap. And then the infected are waiting for the sun to go down so that they can go and, and kill him finally. 
but he gets really, 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 really badly hurt, and he's dragging himself back to his car. And then the yeah. infected dogs rush him, and that's where Sam gets hurt. So he goes from having to drag himself across the pavement to where he's standing, picking her up, going back to the the, the SUV. And I'm yeah. thinking, why didn't you just walk there in the first place? Power of adrenaline. The, the, there was there was a point on on his way back there where there was something falling across the road that he had to get under, no matter how he um, approached it. Yeah, but I mean, you you can you can certainly nitpick some of the some of those scenes, but but yeah. it's such a tense scene that um, you know only on multiple viewings do I go, wait a second, get up and start hopping now. Yeah. Well, the whole the whole putting together of the trap was kind of suspect too, right? I mean, how the heck did he know that? First of all, where to find the mannequins? Which one was Fred? And that would get the reaction that he yeah. wanted out of. Yeah, and, and the, the alternate cut actually does kind of... It it has him go back to that scene with Anna and say, look, this is my, these are my materials. They can't do this. Um, even though, of course, right. the evidence is there that they did it. And, and did she it. presents the idea, yeah. well, maybe they're evolving. Yeah, but they would have had to like, observe him going to the store and doing all those things, right? Yeah, you'd think. Maybe he got sloppy and went to the video store. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to pay late fees, so he had to go back after dark. <laughs> that is one thing that dates the, the movie pretty badly, because there really aren't video stores anymore. No, there's a couple here and there, but but yeah, that's sad <laughs> that, that that dates a movie. <laughs> that we lived through the birth and death of the video store. Yeah. It's just because we're old, Colin. I'm getting older every day, Seth. <laughs> oh, James, James was born during the VHS days, too, so... He has a VHS. He watches it. That's right. Well, didn't didn't we watch uh, Starship Troopers on VHS? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we were living at large, man. Yeah, we were. <laughs> Partying like it was 1989. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final thoughts on this one. Maybe we should wrap up. We've been going a while. I, I think it's worth watching. You know, actually, I would watch them all once just to say that you've done it, to form your own thoughts about it so that you can all agree with me instead of Seth. <laughs> and sometimes James. <laughs> Why don't you launch into your rankings then, Colin? Okay. So I thought I had them ranked, and I think I'm going to have to take a step back. So book. I, I think the book tells the story better than any of the movies. Um, I love the canonicity of the 1964 book, but the, the drama of the 2007 movie is just right up there. So I'm actually going to put them in league with one another. Uh, and then I'm going to leave a okay. gap below there, and then another gap, and I'm going to put Omega Man down in slot number five. Okay. <laughs> what about you, James? Um, I'll start off with the same position there. The book is, like Colin said, it tells the story better. And I, I, I think I enjoyed the book the most of all of them. And then after that, probably the Will Smith movie, Omega Man, and then The Last Man on Earth, or whatever it's called. Okay. The Last Movie on Earth. Yeah, yeah. My my rankings are the same as yours, James. I, I like the 2007 film the best. Um I find Omega Man more entertaining than Last Man on Earth, and that's kind of the why I give it the nod. Um, if I had to choose one to watch, I would I would watch the Omega Man again. Right. I could watch Omega Man again. I probably wouldn't watch the other one again. So I did watch I Am Omega, and this is the Asylum's version of I Am Legend that they they put out the same year that that I Am Legend. I'm, I can't remember if it was the same year that the DVD came out. Um, or while it was in theaters. But, you know, this is the kind of thing they do, right? Transformers comes out, and so they make Transmorphers. And um, and, and this one, it showed some promise. The main character was played by uh, Mark Dacascos of, uh, you know, Iron Chef America, the chairman. And um, his name was, like, Renchard or something, which reminded me of Dracula. I think that's a, a character name from Dracula, like one of the, the patsies of, of the main vampire. 
but um, it's more or less a zombie film, a zombie martial arts film, I guess. <laughs> uh, kind of as hilarious as it sounds, but it it goes full asylum about about two thirds of the way in, and um, and just gets stupid. So can't recommend it. He he, for instance, he blows up the city. Oh not, Jesus! <laughs> not, not just a building. He blows up the city by planting bombs here and there. Wow. So, yeah, uh, not not quality. Um, and Jeff Palermo on I put up a post there asking people to rank him, and he, I think he agrees with me because he had he definitely had them. I am Omega way down the list, and I'm not going to include it in my in my rankings because no, don't don't watch I am Omega. Do watch the other ones, you know, once, <laughs> and let us know. You know what what, what do you think um, about these about these about the book and about the movies? So I think we're wrapped. Yep. What are we going to do next, Seth? Well, if all goes well, so James is going to be leaving the country. I don't think I am now, but James, James will be oh, out of the country, choices. what, twice in November? Yep. Are you leave, you're leaving on Halloween, and then you come back in the middle of November and then leave again. Yep. So what we hope to do is see Arrival, which is the Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner movie that's based on a Ted Chang story called The Story of Your Life. That is ridiculously priced. It, well, it, yeah, it's in, it's in a collection of stories, right, called The Stories of Your Life. Um, and so something that we're trying to get from the library— um, so that we can read it. And it's, I think it's a pretty brief novella kind of thing, like 40 pages or so. Um, so what I'm hoping to do is see the film first and then read, then read the story. And, you know, you guys don't have to do the same thing I do, but hopefully we've got a window in the middle of the month where we can read and watch and, and get an episode in. And then we'll have to figure out what we're going to do for Christmas. We'll do whatever we want right. for Christmas. Yeah, we will. Any other, any other thoughts, anything to talk about? No, I think I'm good. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks again to Adam Underwood for suggesting this to us twice, and sorry it took so long for us to get to it. And um, he he kind of apologized and said, "Sorry, I, you know, I don't mean to be bugging you guys." And like, no, absolutely not. It's not a problem at all. Um, it's nice to to have people interacting with us. And as I said earlier, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search "Take Me to Your Reader" or "Pavement Podcast," and you will find us. Um, you can also go to iTunes or Stitcher or. Tune in radio, I think, or Google Play and give us a, a rating or review there. That'd be awesome. I don't I don't usually send out that plea, so I'm I'm doing it, you know, once in once or twice in 40, 45 episodes. That's permissible. <laughs> so I think we're ready to sign off then. Yeah. Take us away. Okay. So your your I am legend Halloween blessing. Happy Halloween, everybody, and hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, I will leave you with a modified Pavement Pounder's blessing. Mutated, you might say. Pavement Pounder's blessing. blessing. Yes. May the road rise up to meet you. And remember, you're all freaks. I'm a man. The last man. (laughs) Well, no, I'm not. I'm not actually the last man. There's three of us here, actually. I can't say it was just garbage. (laughs) You you can say that. It's just I didn't lead you into it before. (laughs) That's true. All right. I won't won't say it was just garbage. It was crap. Let's see. It was crap. <laughs> Gold-plated crap. Right. Gold-plated silky crap. With a- I, I've decided we don't need James's thoughts on that movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't need my thoughts. We've, right. we've killed the movie. Hey, man, don't, don't get to your rankings, Let. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> let? Sorry. I don't know. Let? Yeah, and you you get a little more of kind of the, the PCSD of, of being... That's PCSD. <laughs> that's, a, that's an organization at work. <laughs> The zombie, you know, vampire thingies in the 1964 film were were not not high quality. The voices yeah. come out, Morgan. 
Come out, like like World War Z or something? Uh, not quite to that level. Oh, okay. Because those guys are crazy fast. And there there is a scene where Mark DeCasco stands them down with um, nunchucks. Oh Jesus! And and he he literally like does the 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 whole Enter the Dragon Jesus. kind of thing with with all the uh, with the nunchucks and then does the pose with the with the two held right. out directly in front of him. Um, yeah. That's uh, brilliant. Yeah. The the best part of that though is while he's doing that, he's there, there's a girl that he's been trying to rescue, and they're they're in a car. He gets out in order to do all this, and then she leaves uh. without him. <laughs> so, so that was rad. Like yeah, while you were screwing around, uh, she's trying to get out of here. Right. 